Welcome to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. In this episode, I talk to Lord Karen Billamoria, founder of Cobra Beer and President of the Confederation of British Industry. Born in Hyderabad, Lord Billamoria was educated in the UK and in his 20s he set up Cobra, as he says, to create a beer with the refreshment of lager but the smoothness of ale, the perfect accompaniment to curry. A qualified chartered accountant and lawyer, Lord Billamoria eventually sold a controlling interest in Cobra to the Canadian brewing giant Molson. He's now Chancellor of Birmingham University, the first Indian-born Chancellor of a Russell Group University. And since June 2020, he's been President of the CBI. Karen Billamoria, thank you so much for seeing us uh, here on GB News. Tell us a little, about, a little bit about your business life before you became President of the CBI. I met you years ago when you were launching Cobra Beer. I was born and brought up in India. My father was a senior Indian Army officer, retired as Commander-in-Chief of the Central Army, commissioned to the Gurkhas, so I was brought up with the Gurkhas from childhood and moved around a lot, went to university very young and graduated at 19, skipped a couple of years, came to the UK to study like my, my mother had, her father had, my father's father was at Sandhurst here, so third generation to be educated here. And while I was a student um, here in the UK, I came up with the idea for Cobra Beer. And I had a law degree and I was a qualified chartered accountant I said, no, I want to start my own business. And I had this idea for this beer that would be uh, in between a lager and ale, the refreshment of a lager and the smoothness of an ale combined that would go really well on its own, but also the best accompaniment to all food, including curry. And that was my idea. Yeah, I was going to say, when you launched it, did you envisage that you as a, a, yeah, an Anglo-Indian of huge repute, that you were going to end up creating the beer that became the must-have accompaniment to your Friday or Saturday night curry? You know, when you, you start with this big idea, and I had no money, I had 20,000 pounds of student debt to pay off, and I started with just my business partner and I. I mean, in, in India, they don't use the term SME. They say MSME, micro, small, and medium-sized enterprise. So I started off as a micro business, and we built it from scratch, and against all the odds, against all the giant beer brands. We couldn't even afford a branded beer glass when we started. And from that 20,000 pounds of student debt, tell us about Cobra now. So we built it up with the Indian restaurants, the curry restaurants as our foundation, to this day, they are our base. I mean, we wouldn't be, I mean, eternally, I'm eternally grateful to the restaurateurs for their support. They gave me a chance in the beginning. They are still our foundation. We supply about 7,000 restaurants. And then we moved on into supplying into the supermarkets as well and the independent off-licenses, and we export to about 40 countries around the world. And it's been a tough journey. I mean, we, we brew in Europe, we brew over here, we now brew at Burton-upon-Trent, we brew in, in Hartlepool, in Teesside, and uh, in fact I was at the brewery uh, recently and met the, the mayor there, Ben Houchen, dynamic mayor of, of, of Hartlepool, of, T of Teesside, and um, we brew in Holland and we brew in Belgium, uh, export to about 40 countries uh, around the world. And it's, it's been a tough journey starting against the odds. Today I'm proud it's a household name. Everyone loves Cobra in every part of the country. And uh, I'm very proud of that, but it's been tough. I've nearly lost my business uh, three times. And the last time was during the financial crisis. So uh, although it's been tough, it's been very enjoyable and uh, I'm very proud of the brand. And you're still involved with the business? You're still an owner of the business? You're still involved day to day? Yes, 12 years ago when I nearly lost the business, we went through a very painful restructuring and I formed a joint venture with Molson Coors, one of the largest brewers in the world, a multi-billion dollar New York Stock Exchange listed company, but still family controlled by the Molson family that go, goes back to 
250 years, and the Coors family in America going back over 150 years. Uh, so family control, but a big uh, global giant, and a joint venture which I chair to this day. So I'm involved with Cobra Beer on a day-to-day -day basis. So we're speaking during the COP26 summit. I know you've taken a huge interest in environmental issues over the years. As president of the CBI, to what extent do you see the COP26 agenda as a business opportunity, and to what extent do you see it as a threat to business? It's a huge opportunity. Uh, as uh, the Prime Minister, as Boris Johnson, I had the privilege of chairing the B7 in May before the G7, which the UK hosted. And uh, I remember uh, Boris addressing, addressing the B7, and he said the road to net zero is not a zero-sum game. And it's so true. It's got to be a benefit, not just benefit in terms of environment and sustainability and climate change and biodiversity, but also a benefit commercially. And if you look ahead, the cost benefits of going net zero on this road will be off the charts. I mean, you look at the price of things like solar energy, most people don't realize that from the 90s, it's gone down by about 15% a year. So these costs are going to go down. And soon it's going to be not just affordable, it'll be much more commercially viable to use the energies of the future. And we've got to go through this transition period. And for the transition, it's not a switch. We can't suddenly go off using gas and go straight into renewables, as we've seen. You know, If the wind doesn't blow, you've got to have a backup. So that's the effort has got to be to have more and more renewals and a mix of them. So ideally you have wind, you have solar, you have hydrogen. I think hydrogen is the future. I really believe that hydrogen's got enormous potential. Um, I remember when we had this investment summit, we had Lord uh, um, Banford, my colleague in the House of Lords, oh, his bus, JCB, yeah. JCB bus, was parked. They went on board that bus and was explained how hydrogen bus um, actually works. I'm Chancellor of the University of Birmingham. We've got a world-renowned railway department, a Queen's Award-winning railway department, and we have produced the first retrofitted hydrogen-powered train that's been up and running in the West Midlands and is going to be up and running in Glasgow at COP. And I'm looking forward to riding on that train. In fact, I'm going to be holding a meeting on that train, chairing a meeting on that train. So it's that and nuclear. We don't talk about nuclear enough. Rolls-Royce are coming up with these modular nuclear plants. Small scale, much cheaper to build. Small scale, quicker, cheaper. Um, nuclear, of course, you've got the waste to manage, but if you can do nuclear properly, it's the cleanest energy. So we've got, we've got to go forward at speed, and it is a, it's, a, it's a race. As David Attenborough, our national treasurer, I mean, he's there saying, 95 years old, come on, you've got to do it. There's, there's a hurry to this. It's, it is a race. There's clearly a business opportunity from this move away from fossil fuels towards renewable energy, and of course, uh, Lord Billamoria, as we scale up these technologies, they become cheaper and more accessible. But we've got to get from here to there. And getting from here to there, a lot of households look at that, a lot of businesses look at that, and they see an awful lot of cost, and they see an awful lot of pain. Most people don't know that heat, one third of greenhouse gas emissions comes from heat. Half of that comes from buildings. And of the 29 million houses that we have in this country, only one million of them are up to the standard if we're going to achieve net zero by 2050. That means 28 million houses have to be upgraded. That means 200,000 jobs to be created. It means huge amount of investment. It means a delivery body. We've recommended something like a, the National Center for the Decarbonization of Heat based in the West Midlands to actually Im implement this like an Olympic-style delivery body. Um, retraining, investment, and affordability. So if you want heat pumps, or if you want hydrogen boilers, you've got to get there, technology in an affordable way. 
but it's a big challenge and it's got to be done. And business has got to lead from the front. And I think COP26 is a big example for business because you can talk, but can you walk the talk? And I'm proud to say one third of our largest companies in the UK with a market cap of 650 billion pounds have committed to net zero by 2050. And we want more and more businesses to make that commitment. And on top of that, you've got businesses like EY, Ernst & Young, this year, earlier this year, in the middle of a pandemic, they said, we're gonna go carbon negative this year. Microsoft said, we're gonna go carbon negative 2021 in the middle of a pandemic. And I've just heard the news, in October, EY had already become carbon negative. Now that's great, that's walking the talk. Some people watching this though, there'll be householders worried about talk that they've got to throw out their gas boiler and install a very expensive heat pump that will cost 10, 15, 20,000 pounds money they couldn't dream of conjuring up and then a lot more to run than a gas boiler. They'll be thinking a lot of this corporate commitment to net zero is a publicity stunt. It's, it's kind of window dressing. So with all due respect, Lord Billamoria, how do we reassure the country the ordinary men and women who are gonna face these big bills of this transition. And this is where we've got to make sure it is all affordable, not just affordable, it's gotta be commercially better. So not only are you doing things that are environmental, but actually you sh it should be more efficient, it should be cheaper. Now with cars, electric vehicle sales are booming, but where are the charging points? So the government has a big role to play over here as well in incentivizing investment into green, enabling it at speed. So we need the charging points. We need the battery technology. We need the gigafactories. So the part, there's, a, there's a huge opportunity to collaborate with countries. I was chairing a meeting with Indonesia just now, with the Deputy Prime Minister of Indonesia in London, and they've got huge potential to partner when it comes to battery technology. So we can do this. We've got to partner across the globe. The sooner we do this, the bigger we do this with government investing side by side of the private sector. And here's another very important point. The United Kingdom is the second largest recipient of inward investment in the world. We've been a magnet for inward investment. This is our opportunity. This is 2021 on the global stage. G7, now COP26, saying to the world, here we are leading from the country, come and invest in the UK. And that investment will make a big difference in addressing the issues that you've just spoken about. Isn't there an irony, Lord Billamoria, that as COP26 is happening and the eyes of the world are on this summit, it's obviously a very important summit in Glasgow, Western countries are, are literally begging you know, Vladimir Putin to send more gas, a fossil fuel. They're begging the OPEC energy exporters cartel to send more oil. This energy crisis that we're living through, that's seeing household bills soaring, seeing many companies that you represent that have heavy energy bills, no energy price cap for them, of course, because they're not households. Isn't this energy crisis focusing minds? Doesn't it make it harder to promote the, this COP26 agenda? Because we can see how vulnerable we are, our energy situation. I remember Dr. Geeta Gopinath, the chief economist of the IMF, and she said in May, Countries like the UK are gonna have a V-shaped bounce back recovery. Why? Because you've spent 400 billion pounds saving your businesses and your economy and jobs, which is one of the highest in absolute terms or per capita terms in the world. 
and you've got a phenomenal vaccination program. Even in May, our vaccination program was flying. I mean, today, two-thirds of our whole population are double vaccinated. 80% of over 12-year-olds are, are double vaccinated. So we've done very well on that. But what's happened since May? We've had labor shortages. We've had the fuel crisis. We've had the energy crisis. You've got inflation. I mean, you've got a potential of interest rates going up mm. and taxes going up. Mm. So suddenly, this V-shaped recovery is happening. There is a bounce back, but it's a fragile recovery. Mm. So with the energy crisis, we've realized how vulnerable we are because we're dependent so much of energy coming from abroad. That lack of gas storage means we're very dependent on global spot prices, wholesale prices. We can't buy gas and store it. That was a mistake, wasn't it? I think it was a mistake. I think because we're so reliant on just in time, yeah. we thought, well, we don't need the storage. In a time of crisis, you need that storage. And, and that, again, reinforces the need for the urgency of getting on with the renewable. The sooner we have hydrogen, there's a potential of piping hydrogen to every household and changing gas boilers to hydrogen boilers. I mean, just imagine, that is a huge, that is transformational, if we can make that happen. We had Gareth Stace on uh, Money Talks very recently, the very knowledgeable uh, head of UK Steel, the trade body for our steel industry, which still employs 33,000 people. Um, we are a very high cost energy place to make steel, and that was the case um, even before um, the, the, in the eyes of the steel industry, this green agenda put up the price of energy in this country. It's just more expensive than it is in Germany to get energy here. And that was before the recent uh, energy crisis with wholesale prices soaring. I know Gareth Stace and UK Steel and many other industry trade bodies were deeply disappointed in this budget, Lord Billamoria. There wasn't help for the big energy intensive uh, manufacturers, steelmakers in this country that employ many people in many of these red wall seats. Decent jobs in parts of the country that aren't particularly wealthy at this point. Shouldn't there have been more in the budget? There's no question about it. We need to be much more competitive with our energy prices. And that's why I go back to it. The sooner we can have renewable energy that is at scale and that is really affordable, everyone benefits from that. And we, that is a matter of urgency. But in terms of the budget and help, even the 400 billion pounds that is, we're so grateful for as business. And we worked, by the way, the CBI worked with government, all the schemes, whether it's the job retention scheme, the bounce back scheme, do you remember the low 100% guaranteed loans? Yeah. I, I meet people, businesses today, I played a big part, I'm proud of it myself, to get that through because government initially wouldn't guarantee 100%. They said, we'll only guarantee 80%. And then Germany started guaranteeing 100%, Switzerland started guaranteeing 100%, and eventually government listened over one million businesses, mainly SMEs, have taken out those, those loans. I meet them regularly and they say, thank you, you saved my business. I was shut. There were events businesses. For 18 months, they had no business. Mm. And government couldn't help them at all. There were three million people called the excluded who got no help at all uh, with rates. Heathrow Airport, their rate bill is 100 million pounds a year. They got hardly any support for that. Mm. Their business was down 98%. Mm. So it's been very difficult for the government. They've tried to help as much as possible. Not everyone has been helped. Let's talk about business rates. CBI, the Federation of Small Businesses, British Chamber of Commerce, so many of your members talk about this tax, this levy on the raisable value of, of businesses that must be paid, not only before you've made any profit, before you've made any revenue at all. It's a very heavy burden. Many businesses think it's anachronistic. Retailers in particular think that it disadvantages them, the bricks and mortar retailers, against the big online retailing giants. Yes, there was some 
help in the budget, a 12-month reprieve if you're a retailer or a gym or something like that. There was some help in the budget, a reprieve on the improvement value of your business if you invest, but then you pay after the year's reprieve, you pay on the improved value forever. That's how business rates work. The Treasury's promised for a long time now as a manifesto commitment, a proper upheaval of business rates. Where is it? It, it, it is something that we have been crying out for. And, and let's, again, put this into context. Our business rates are four times higher than Germany. Our business rates are three times higher than the OECD average. And one of the helps that the government gave during the pandemic yeah. was rates relief to hospitality industry. That helped so much. I mean, Cobra Beer, we supply 7,000 restaurants. They were shut for more than half the pandemic. Things like that rates relief really helped. The little bit help that you just spoke about in the budget is going to help, but it's a long-term reform that we need. And at the moment, in, in, it's, it's ironic. He needs to grab hold of this, doesn't he? He does need because to do it. He keeps promising to do it. He, he, you know better than me, Lord Billamore, those SME businesses, they employ two-thirds of our people. They're more than half our growth. There's so much innovation goes on there. Also, the people that run those businesses, they are swing voters. They're pragmatic, non-ideological, practical business people. This is a real vote loser, I think, if we don't have a proper upheaval of business rates. It needs to be done. It needs to be done in a way that also that incentivizes the right investment. So if you're going to invest in making your building more climate friendly, uh, more renewable, sustainable, then you should be incentivized. Rather than penalized for increasing the value of your business. At the moment, it's almost is a disincentive. Right. So it's got to change. And, it, and, it, and it, it needs to be done now. Of course, there's a lot of money at stake because tens of billions of pounds of revenue, the government tax take, comes from business rates. So we've got to make sure this is a way that is fair and competitive. And of course, you've got online sales and you've got retail. And business rates, if you reform it, help save the high street. Let's talk about Brexit. During the referendum campaign, you were um, very much for Remain. The CBI was very much for Remain. Some people on the Leave side, some members of the public, thought the business lobby groups were too, uh, too harsh in uh, their assessment of how the UK would fare if we left the European Union. How do you think it's going on Brexit? I was always very critical of the European Parliament about MEPs having no connection with you their were. electorate. I was always very yeah. open. I just took a decision at that time, on balance, it would have been safer for the country to remain in the European Union. Now, business on the whole felt that way. By, by a big extent, business felt that they wanted to remain. Now, CBI was representing its members. Now that it's happened, my attitude is very simple. It's happened. We've left the European Union. We've got to make the most of it. And that is the attitude that I've taken. And we've done lots of great things. Look at the trade deals. I put my hand up. I said, are we going to be able to roll over over 60, 66 trade deals, bilateral deals that the European Union has with other countries like Canada? Are we going to be able to roll them over on the same terms for a trading block of 500 million people, one of the biggest trading blocks or the biggest trading block in the world? Will they give the same terms to a country of 67 million people? Well, they did. And not just that, we did it on time by the 31st of December. I personally and the CBI helped to roll over some of them on time. And I've seen what Liz Truss, we didn't have a Department of Trade. Mm. We, we haven't negotiated trade agreements for four decades. I, hats off to, to the DIT, hats off to Liz Truss, what she did in rolling those over on time and getting the same terms. Now what we've got the opportunity is to make them bespoke. 
So each one of these that was done by the EU, we can make them even better for the UK. They suit British business and commerce rather than French or German or Spanish business and commerce. So we got that. The next thing that's happened, again, I've personally played a role in this and the CBI has, is the new trade deals, Australia. The Australian trade deal is the most advanced, comprehensive, modern trade deal ever. It's got goods, it's got services, it's got innovation, it's got SMEs, it's got movement of people. 18 to 35 year olds from the UK and Australia can travel for three years, mm. unrestricted in each other's countries. Phenomenal. It's got IP protection. It's the Intellectual property, and, yeah. And it's duty free, duty free as well. So it's gonna be a real win-win. And I'm proud to have played a part in helping get that over the line. The New Zealand trade deal similarly. Isn't there more the government could do with our post-Brexit freedoms um, we're starting to roll out free ports now, but leaving the European Union gives you a lot more scope for state aid, a lot more scope for regional policy, a lot more scope to get rid of VAT on certain goods. Those EU rules uh, pre previously prevented us from doing those things. Shouldn't the government be doing more to demonstrate the, the benefits of Brexit? Well, just one more is India. India has a huge potential. You know, the whole of the Commonwealth makes up less than 10% of our trade. That's over 50 countries, including India, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, makes up less than 10%. We've signed an enhanced trade partnership with India to double our trade. We've started the negotiations with India on a free trade agreement. So huge potential. And then here, what we can do when it comes to inward investment, when it comes to leveling up mm. and prosperity around the regions, I think I said earlier, I was in Teesside with, with Ben Houchen, that what a dynamic mayor. I mean, he is, intent on bringing investment in there, on, on absolutely vitalizing that area of his. And a lot of that, well, he's got a free port coming up. Um, exciting projects. Just finally, Lord Billamoria, we're both optimistic people. We both believe in the dynamism, the energy of the UK economy, the, the ingenuity of, of, our, of our business leaders and our people more, more broadly. But the Chancellor, he is relying, isn't he, after this budget um, on 6.5% growth this year, 6% growth next year. Can we really grow at the same pace or faster than China for the next two years? Isn't there a risk there? I believe the solution to the future now, 18 months of pandemic, huge debt. Our debt is almost 100% of GDP. Mm. In Second World War, Debt went to, this is the second biggest crisis we've, the biggest crisis we've had since the Second World War as a global community. 250% debt to GDP. It took until the early 1960s, over 15 years, to bring it down to 100%. And a lot of inflation. So, so we, we've got that debt. We've got to bring down the debt. The best way to do that is not through austerity. We've seen what the damage a decade of austerity did after the financial crisis. It's not through taxes. And now we've got the highest level of taxes in 70 years. We've got the highest level of spending since the 1970s. And the combination of high spending and high taxes, I'm not comfortable with that. I think what need, one needs to do is encourage investment. The super deduction, 130% relief if you invest, that's the sort of thing we need to do. Invest in skills. Businesses investing, investing in growth. It's the growth that'll create the jobs, that will raise the taxes, that will pay down the debt. So we've got to focus on investment and growth. So why did a conservative chancellor who calls himself a Thatcherite deliver a, a, a brownite budget? We keep saying to him, go for growth. Growth is the future. And he says he's going to bring taxes down. He says, I'm a low tax chancellor. Well, at the moment, with the highest tax in 70 years. So we've got to see those low taxes down the road because high taxes stifle 
growth and stifle recovery. And we need low tax in this country. We need investment and we need growth. Lord Bill Moria, it's good to see you. Very good to see you. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening to Money Talks with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you're listening. Do subscribe to this podcast and also check out my daily television show on The Money at 1pm Monday to Friday on GB News or via the GB News app. GB News, Britain's news channel.